Well, good morning. Palm Sunday. If you're uh, tracking with us online, my, we'll be doing Palm or All Holy Week video uh, devotionals all week long. And I want to welcome you as we are here in John chapter 4. And today we're going to be talking about the Samaritan woman. Samaritan woman, fetch some water for me. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, you give them an inch. Samaritan, Samaritan woman. Okay, we're talking about the Samaritan woman today. And um, today's going to be an important message for us. And today, we're going to talk about identity. And in some ways, how we choose identity. Identity politics is a very hot-button subject in our culture right now, and I'm, I'm aware of this, and I'm aware of the risks involved in what we're going to say, but in the book of John, chapter 4, Jesus has something for us that I want us to look at. So I'm praying that God would move in power, and I'm praying that by the end of this service, whether you're at home or whether you're in this room, we all are different than when we started this message. I'm, I'm going to begin by reading through John 4, the first part of the story, the in entirety, so you can track along with me in your Bible or on the screens above. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Jesus is becoming popular, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. All Old Testament is all in there. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, well, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw, draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everybody who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I, can, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Well, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. So what you said is quite true. Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped here on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one you're speaking to, I am he. 
And this encounter here between the Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well has incredible insights and discoveries. And I want to begin by starting off by beginning to look at the realities of what it would mean for a Samaritan woman and a Hebrew rabbi to be there at the well together. The Sumerian religion was closely related to Judaism. They were closely related, but had some stark differences. Both sides claimed to have the real knowledge of God. The Samaritans, they disagreed with Judaism, and they claimed that they understood God better and knew more of how it worked. And while the Hebrews believed that, the, that Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, was the center of worship and where God would dwell, the Samaritans claimed that it was Mount Gerizim that God would dwell. That mountain is in the West Bank. They believed that this was the location where Abraham brought his son Isaac. Now, the Hebrew Old Testament reveals that Abraham did this on Mount Moriah, and also that's where Solomon built the temple. So we have, it's, it's presently right now the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So we have a Samaritan and Hebrew dispute over the location of the holy place of where God resides. Samaritans believed it was Mount Gerizim, and the Hebrews believed it was Mount Moriah. And, and this may seem like a, a small discrepancy to us here, but in that time, in, in those eyes, this, this disagreement sparked animosity, violence, and hatred. And it goes much, much deeper in history than this. You see, 700 years before Jesus even sits down with this woman at a well, the Assyrian invaders conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Tribes of Israel were lost after this, and the Assyrians married and had children with the Hebrews, and that offspring is what went on to be the Samaritans. The Samaritans have been genetically proven to be closely related to the Hebrews. So we see there's this, there's this long history of these two countries, these two people groups. And in fact, in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem to build the walls, and there the Samaritans try to thwart him and threaten him to the point where he, he tells the people, put a tool in one hand and a sword in the other, because the Samaritans were threatening them. There are accounts of the Samaritans burning the Hebrew Torah. Over the centuries, this divide between these neighboring peoples grew wider and wider, and eventually, by the time we come into the story here, the Jews reviled the Samaritans. They looked down upon them who were pagans who had a corrupt version of what the Hebrews claimed to know about God. So when Jesus sits down at the well, and he begins to talk to this woman, you see that there's a vast religious difference between the two of them. But, but there's not just a religious barrier between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, as we'll see. In verse 7, he asks her for a drink, and I want you to notice her response. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You see, it's not just a religious barrier. There's a racial barrier. So now we have this religious and racial barrier right there between Jesus and this woman at the well. But, but look back at that same verse. She doesn't just say, I'm a Samaritan. She says, I'm a Samaritan woman, a double qualifier of her identity. I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. I'm a woman, you're a man. And in this culture and in this time, women did not enjoy the, the, the rights or privileges of, of modern day. Women were often looked at as property during this time. And in fact, even if a husband and wife went out together, the woman would have to walk behind her husband, not next to him. A man would not talk to a female stranger in public. That would be dishonoring. And a woman would not talk to a male stranger in public because that would be disrespecting toward him. So we see in the context of this conversation between 
this Samaritan woman and Jesus, they're separated by centuries of conflict, a religious barrier. They're separated by a lifetime of ethnic animosity, racial barrier. They're separated by cultural gender inequality, gender barrier. But there's more. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon when the Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, John, who's the author in writing this, he doesn't put the time of day in here just because he likes to keep track of things. He puts it's noon because it reveals more of what's going on. You see, John is painting a pretty vibrant and dramatic picture for us that we need to know to see what's happening here. You see, every single morning, the women would come out of the village and go down to the well to get their water that they needed for, for the chores, for the work, and for the meals. But they didn't do this at noon. That was the hottest part of the day. And besides, they needed water in the morning. So they'd go down in the morning, and that was also a time of socializing. And the fact that this woman goes down at noon in the heat of the day says something. It reveals that she's a social outcast. She's avoiding the other village women. She isn't a part of their circle. There's, listen, here's what we know. Something has happened to this woman or she has done something and she is a pariah. John tells us what it is. Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. He says, you're right when you say this. You have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. I love her response. Sir, I can see you're a prophet. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you sit down with a stranger and they tell you your life story, that's a good response to have. But let's look what this prophet just revealed. That she's had five husbands, five. And now she's living with a man who's, who's not her husband. Now in 2021, in American culture, where 50% of, uh, of marriages end in divorce, we view this a lot differently than, than it was viewed back then. The truth is, in these days, for a woman, one divorce... One would be a social scarlet letter that she would wear through life. But five? Five? This woman has a very checkered past, but we don't know if, if they were all divorces or some died or if it was some mix of the two, whatever it would be. But she's been to the altar five times and she's been single. And now she's living in a socially unaccepted way with another man. It's no mystery why she comes at noon so she won't run into anybody else. It's no, she wants to avoid him. At, at best, the other women would, would glare at her and maybe whisper behind her back. At best. And so she comes down in the hottest part of the day when it, there's the, the smallest likelihood that anyone would be there. Which is why she was shocked when Jesus spoke to her. But the highlight that just how out of bounds Jesus is by doing this she's not the only one that's shocked. It says that Jesus sent all 12 disciples into town to get food. 12 Jewish disciples going into a Samaritan village. They are probably not touching anything. They're wearing their masks. They're socially distanced. They use Perel after they left that town. It's an unclean Samaritan village and all that stuff. And they, they get back to the well and are horrified. John 4, 27, they see Jesus talking to the woman. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a, with a woman. But no one dared ask, what do you want? Why are you talking to her? Did you catch that? They wanted to ask her, what do you want? 
Why are you talking to him? You're unworthy. You're unclean. They wanted to look at him, Jesus, and say, why are you talking to her? Jesus, this is highly unacceptable. They wanted to ask, why are you doing this? See, what we see here is that this woman had failed at every single level to qualify to be somebody that a, a Hebrew rabbi would want to speak to, let alone even be near. Culturally, Jesus should stay far away from her. She's the embodiment of so much that it means to be unclean in their culture. He should move away. And you know what he should do? Based on the culture, he should pretend she doesn't exist. Just not even look. A religious barrier. Racial barrier. Gender barrier. Moral barrier. Social barrier. So many reasons for Jesus to just stay silent and keep his distance. But what does Jesus do? What does he do here? He, he treats her with dignity. And he reaches through all those barriers to encounter this woman. Verse 9. She said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Notice she brings up a physical human barrier. And Jesus replies, if you knew the gift of God and who asked you to have it for a drink, you would ask him if he would give you living water. He gives her a spiritual answer to a physical, cultural barrier. But she misses it completely. She takes him to be completely literal because she says, you have nothing to draw water with and the well's really deep. How would you get it? She's like, how would you even do that? Again, she comes up with a physical barrier. She keeps throwing out these barriers and he just keeps responding with an invitation of spiritual discussion. He says, everyone who drinks of this water is gonna be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a human spring of water welling up to eternal life. I mean, Jesus says, this water right here, this water in this well, this Jacob's well, if you drink this, you'll be, you'll be thirsty again tonight. But, but this well, me, this living water, you'll never thirst again, spiritually. It, it'll quench the deepest part of your spirit and soul. It will fundamentally change your identity. In fact, if you drink from this living water, me, the well, you'll become a well of water. Jesus reaches through every single barrier and claims the one thing that she needs more than anything is him. The Jesus, the living water that quenches the restless spirit within us and transforms us in our deepest places. You see, he's saying that this woman, you, you no longer need to identify as a pariah, someone who's used up, a sinner, a reject, prohibited because of your, your race or disqualified because of your gender or whatever else you would bring up. Jesus is calling her to her truest identity as a daughter of God. You see, she no longer needs to, needs to identify as a used up sinner because of Jesus' work. He wants to proclaim her forgiven. She no longer needs to identify as a reject because Jesus in his work wants to, wants to show her that she is accepted. She no longer needs to be a pariah because Jesus wants to restore her dignity. She no longer needs to feel she's un, ethnically unqualified because Jesus declares her completely qualified for salvation. She's no longer prohibited due to her gender. He invites her to, to lean into that and to be his beloved daughter. Every identity her life has given her, every single one, he calls her and come to, to come to a new one of his love and his truth. 
And more than that, he tells her, I mean, this woman's probably been a drain on her, her community. He tells her, if you come to living water, I'll make you into a well and you can pass that on to others. You become a resource of life. She's at a physical well of water and a spiritual well of water approaches her and declares that she can also be a spiritual well of life. One gives her physical life, one gives her spiritual life and a new spiritual reality. And all the identity qualifiers that she mentioned earlier, all the identity qualifiers that, that John makes sure that we, we, we pick up on, let, let's, let's look at them. She says, I'm not, I'm, there's a religious barrier. I'm not Jewish. Racial barrier, I'm not Hebrew. Gender barrier, I'm a woman. Moral barrier, I'm a sinner. Social barrier, I'm a pariah. Her human identity is playing a huge role in this discussion. And how she identifies changes everything in how she engages and lives her life. And this is true for us as well. How we choose to identify changes how we engage in our world. And you may have heard of identity politics and how there's some seismic shifts in our culture and society around the, the treatment of identity. And Oxford defines identity politics as a, a tendency for people to, of our particular religion or race or social background, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to form alliances, exclusive alliances, and move away from traditional-based politics. People, groups who find themselves politically and socially grouping themselves together on how they choose to identify. And more and more people are choosing, we see this in the culture, we see it. People are choosing to identify in ways that are unconventional. And beyond politics, there's this growing shift of people identifying in different ways. And I've been asked my thoughts on it a lot. And I thought I'd give them to you today. It's pretty thin ice, isn't it? Here's my personal belief on identity. I am not all that anxious about how people choose to identify in their life out there, outside of me. But when someone comes into contact with me, my biggest hope is that through that encounter, they identify more with Jesus. Based on someone's life and their experiences and their background and their choices, they can choose to identify in any infinite number of ways. When they come into contact with me, my hope is they identify in one single way, and that's more with Jesus Christ. In fact, as a church orchard, it should not scare us or distress us how people choose to identify themselves. Because when they come here or when they encounter you as the orchard, wherever you may be, may they be identify more and more with Jesus because of that encounter. See, we as a church are not here to dictate to people how they identify. We're here to call people to identify more with Jesus. He's the main thing. As a pastor, I'm not called, I'm not qualified to go around striving to make people identify with a, a certain label anywhere in their life. Instead, I'm called to invite people to come and, to Jesus and identify more with him and his truth. Because here's the bottom line. The creator is the one qualified to speak identity into humanity in a way none of us can do. Jesus is able, is, is able to speak true identity into someone's heart and soul and mind in a way I and you and we cannot. 
And let's be honest, while parents have an opportunity to mold their children's identity, when it comes to grown-up and grown-up culture, we don't have the ability to go in and just change someone's identity. That's a space that Jesus speaks into. That's the place where the creator, the savior speaks. And I, I actually believe that churches get into trouble when they attempt to force people to change their identity to then come to Jesus. Did you catch that? I think churches get in trouble when they attempt to force people to change their identity so that they can then come to Jesus. That's what religion has always been guilty of. Instead of forcing people to change their identity and then come to Jesus, let's invite them to Jesus and hand off the identity work to him, their savior, their creator, who wants to speak. And just so we're all clear, he's doing that for all of us. As we follow Jesus, the goal, the hope, is that we're becoming more like him. And you know what he wants to do in your life? He wants to speak identity into you and call you to be more like him. This is what he does for all of us. If the woman had the well had arrived while the disciples were there, I don't believe she ever would have gotten near him. I do believe that's why he sent 12 guys to go get one meal. You know? He could have sent one or three. He goes, all you guys, out of here. I have an appointment. You see, they would have kept her from Jesus based on how she identified. I believe this because they legitimately do this later on. They keep people from Jesus and tell them to be quiet. Hey, Jesus is working over here. Stay away. How this woman identified would never have gotten her past the disciples had they been there. And we know that because we see how, th how they reacted when they showed up. They were shocked. Here's the deal. I don't want to be in between someone and Jesus, forcing them to change just to get to him. As a church, we should be ushering all people to Jesus. That's the life change. Remember, I say this a lot. We aren't called to go out anywhere and debate and argue what is right. We are called to go out and be light and illuminate a savior who can change people in any way that he chooses. Bottom line, however somebody identifies in their life, when they encounter us, may they identify more and more with Jesus. And we let Jesus do the identity work in their life. Just like in your heart, that's God's place to speak. This is what happened here at the well. This is what happened. Time and time again, she brings up these barriers about her identity. And did you notice that Jesus doesn't address her human barriers? She says, I'm a Samaritan. He doesn't say, oh, sorry, you need to be a Hebrew. He didn't stop and go, oh, yeah, you're right. She said, I'm a woman. He doesn't mention her gender. They discuss her living arrangements. Did you notice he doesn't even tell her that she needs to go clean up her life and manage her sin better? Did you notice that? She's a social outcast and he doesn't talk to her about how she needs to rehabilitate her, her image. Like you need to go do some, some rehabilitation. People don't like you very much. Then come back and talk to me. Go clean up, go get things right, and then hey, I might be at the well again for you. Now, what does he do? He doesn't start with her barriers. He doesn't start with behavior modification. Instead, he invites her into a new life, a new identity. And this is what's so amazing. There is an identity, that Je there is an identity here that in John 4 that Jesus Christ chooses to reveal. It's the first place in John, this is the first person in John he chooses to reveal this to. Of all the people, he reveals his own identity. 
She talks about the Messiah, and he says, the Messiah, the one you're talking about, I am he. I'm he. He reveals he's the Messiah to a Samaritan woman at noon at a well. You know why? Because what this woman needs most is to know who he is. If you approach religion, it tells you how to adjust and modify your behavior to be accepted. But if you approach Jesus and he reveals to you his identity, he shows you that because of his identity and his work, you are are accepted. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, it makes all the difference. When you encounter Jesus, you have the opportunity to leave different than when you came to him. And that's why when we encounter people, we want to lead them to the one who can truly transform their life. No matter how you identify in life, when you encounter Jesus, you have the opportunity to identify more and more with him. Every single Sunday in here or on live stream, that's my prayer, is that through all the stuff we do, you encounter Jesus and you leave differently. When we pray in a circle here as a band before service, I remind the team every week, in our humanity, we don't have what it takes to change someone. So spirit, we need you. God, we need you. Jesus reaches through every single barrier their culture had put up and he spoke to the heart and soul of this woman. And the reality is, I believe some people here resonate with her today. I believe there are people here who have an identity that that you believe, you, you believe you're disqualified from God's approval. Like when you think of, when you think about how God thinks of you, you think that he's wearing a frown because she knows everything. He knows what I'm doing. You might identify with the Samaritan woman that you, you have an identity of sin in your past. Jesus is less worried about what you believe disqualifies you as he is about the work he's done to qualify you. That's why his identity matters most. She put up a bunch of protests And he gave her an invitation. She mentioned a bunch of barriers and he offered her a gift. And if you're listening this morning and and you believe that your past or your sin or your experience disqualifies you, the Samaritan woman stands as a beacon for us to remind us that no matter what barrier you think you have, Jesus reaches through it and offers and calls you to a new life. You can bring whatever mess you think you've made of your life because of your past to Jesus. And he gives you what you could never have apart from him. You can bring whatever sin you've created, you've committed in your past to Jesus. And because of his work, he forgives you. You can bring whatever doubts that you have about this to Jesus. You notice the Samaritan woman had doubts? and he will treat you the way he treated her, gently and truthfully, revealing who he is to you. Nothing disqualifies you from coming to Jesus and accepting his gift of salvation. I love that Jesus went out of his way to speak to the Samaritan woman. And if you're here today and you would like an encounter with that same Jesus, and you have issues and barriers and things that you believe God is just that disqualify you and remove you from God's goodness, you can pray with me right now 
and receive this gift of God that he offered this woman. You, you can pray and receive forgiveness for your past and peace in your present and hope for your future. So eyes bowed and pray with me. Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sin. I know you died on the cross and rose again. I give you my life. Give me my truest identity. Fill me with your spirit. Amen. And by the way, the, the, the woman, Jesus said, uh, he says, if you drink of this water of life, I'll make you a well of water. And guess what? It happens because she goes and she brings many people to Jesus. Catch this. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, you gotta come and see a man who told me everything I did. <laughs> Could this be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming out of the village to, to find him, to meet him. Many Samaritans from that village believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. A testimony is your God story. When they, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so Jesus stays in the Samaritan village for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to this woman, now we believe, not because of what you, just what you told us, but because we've heard it ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Man, I want my friends to say that. Not just because of what you said, Daniel, but because I met him. I heard from him. And now I believe he's the savior of the world. You see, this woman, she had an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. He reaches through the barriers and she has an encounter and it changes her. And guess what? She has no seminary degree. She didn't go to Bible college. She has no training, but she has one thing. She has her testimony, her God story. And she takes that back to her people and says, come with me to meet Jesus. And that right there is something we can all do. Hey, here's what God did in my life. Come with me. Can I tell you about him? Can I tell you what he could do in, what he's done in my life, what he could do in your life? Come with me. You see, you can take your testimony to others. You can be this, this well of life for other people. And my hope is that like her, we can see our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our cities transformed by revival. They had a Samaritan revival in this place. Because the most unlikely candidate, Jesus had a moment with her, an encounter. I love it. I want us to learn from the uh, Samaritan woman that nothing disqualifies us from God. I want us to learn from her that, that we can go out and we can illuminate Jesus to a world that needs to see him. And I want us to, to learn by how Jesus treats her that the greatest identity we could concern ourselves with is, is introducing people to the identity of the Savior. We could love God and love people that much to reach through the barriers that our culture has constructed and say, can I tell you what God's done for me? As we go into communion, I would love for you to ask the Spirit, ask God, say, what in this is for me? And let him reveal which part of this is for you to take with you. And then I want you to rise and sing. This is a song that Micah wrote as we engage in worship. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are the main thing, the head of this church. And there's nothing we could do greater than to bring people to you. I pray right now in this building and for those listening that um, you would whisper identity to us. Because truth is, we're just like her. 
We have our barriers. We have our identities that, that we believe about ourselves. But Jesus, I pray you would reveal the truth, not only of who you are, but who we are in light of that. And then hear our worship in Jesus' name. Amen.